0: Well, uh, I may not have a, a chance to say a few words, and uh, I would like somebody to, who has a watch uh, to time this, and I'm going to speak to you now for eight and a half minutes exactly before I say anything you need to hear. I've, le- I, I've learned this from Dr. Zoll, so I'm going to now b- uh, babble on for a little while. Eight and a half minutes, and will you time this? And as soon as that comes up, then we'll, <laughs> then we'll go. <laughs> First of all, uh, my, my fellow mockingbirds, uh, uh, we, uh, we, we have uh, something now that we share. We are, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. You understand this. Uh, and this means something. That means that when we come together, we immediately share the most central, most basic, more, most foundational thing, and we can begin speaking to each other uh, like unto no one else uh... so that we can actually start now confessing our faith one to another and when we hear this and when we hear uh... how uh... christ has in fact broken into our lives this is in fact the most beautiful conversation we can have so now we're getting ready for heaven itself you understand that so this is this is what this is going to be like in heaven no preacher no uh... uh, uh, uh formal talk But, in fact, the kind of uh, talk of the spirit that you and I have shared already. And I have to say this in my eight and a half minutes. um, uh, Ever since uh, I was a young boy, and uh, as you know, every boy uh, born from 1950 uh, up to the present dreams of being a rock star, uh, and ever since I was a little boy uh, and uh, with my guitar and working on deep purple, learning my three uh, chords, uh, hoping one day I would get a chance uh, to play this now this is as close uh, to rock star status as I will ever have i I know this I know. <laughs> Uh, I I know how pathetic that sounds, uh, but uh, this is it.
1: Uh, yeah, no, that's,
0: uh, no, no. I've, uh, Dusty has played, and uh, that's it. I I know my career with the guitar is over. Um, uh, I, I'm very thankful for the reception I've had here, and uh, and for this fellowship of Christians uh, that we all have. And before we go home, because you remember that's always our final word, when we re- we've received the forgiveness of sins and received Christ himself, then, of course, the final word is to go home. But uh, we've got a little bit of time now, and before we do that, let's, uh, let's start to draw together uh, some of the uh, things that I at least have heard, and I want now to convey to you uh, in my own way. I also have to uh, say that I have read and I've also already been influenced by uh, Dr. Zoll. Now, uh, actually to be uh, introduced uh, uh, to him uh, as someone receiving his words, what a fine and beautiful thing. Same for Dr. Martin, how much I've enjoyed this. uh, And these words have meant uh, so much to me. And uh, you realize that when I've talked to you one by one and I hear the stories of how you've been touched by these people and how you have in fact received what they have handed on, uh, this is a great legacy. And that legacy that we're seeing uh, lit and burning now with a new wick uh, is, uh, is a delight and joy. Uh, I'm uh, now with two grandchildren, uh, recognizing that I am uh, technically an old man now. Uh, I'm getting used to this, uh, and uh, to see that this is being passed on to uh, a new generation uh, gives me great hope and joy, despite whatever institutional problems seem to be out there uh, in the church and in the world. So. I give great thanks for that. I'm jealous about one other thing. I I have never in all of my talks uh, all over the world uh, been asked what I watch on television. Uh, And I'm jealous about that. And uh, uh, and I've, I've been waiting for something like that. I was asked that question one time when I was interviewing for a position, we call it part of the call, uh, a, a position as preacher in a local church, and uh, after we had had rather lofty discussion about what I was going to preach, whom I was going to preach, and uh, etc., uh, one man in the church council uh, then said, "Well, I have a question for you. And before I would ever want you to come and be my pastor, I want to make sure that the answer uh, is uh, is the is the right one." uh what do you watch on television uh and i was taken back by this because i thought these should all be spiritual conversations uh at this uh, point in time uh and uh, and i said well i uh, i do watch a lot of sports and uh and he said no 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 i mean what what uh, what what really uh do you watch uh, and, uh, I said, well, I, I, have to say it's mainly sports and news. And he said, well, then I don't want you as a pastor. <laughs> I don't want you as a pastor. Uh, uh, if you don't watch the, uh, Beverly Hillbillies, then I, ha- I, I don't want you. Uh, and, uh, in this conversation, of course, I began to hear and understand, uh, what we call hearing the creature waiting. And I've actually begun uh, not only to watch the Beverly Hillbillies, but I have to now uh, confess and convey this to you. I tell all of my students that one of the most important things they can do is start to watch uh, love shows on television, in particular, the dating shows. And most particularly, you have to watch The Bachelor and other such things. And of course, I can still uh, not quite get over, and I haven't been able to forgive. Uh, the crummy bachelor who ditched Melissa. Uh, and, uh, and if you really want to know what the bondage of the will is, then you can actually watch it function there. Because no one, I, I, I tell people over and over again uh, that their will is bound, and they don't believe it until, of course, they start talking about love. And then they say things like, uh, well, I have to go where my heart is taking me, and uh, I have no control over these things. And uh, I, I, you know, you either fall in love or you don't, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and I finally say, thank you, thank you for proving my point. Uh, the will is, in fact, bound. Well, we're up to our eight and a half minutes, I assume. Uh, almost there. Now uh, I'm going to say uh, uh, again uh, a, uh, a brief a word here uh, but, uh... i do think that it is the key one at this point we've talked about the gospel we've talked about uh... something uh, about the distinction of the law and gospel we've talked about how it is that we can convey this we talk about how we convey this uh, to people uh... who um, uh... have various schemes or schemata uh, that they uh, uh, they have created around themselves, uh, starting with the laws given by their parents. We've talked even about, and uh, my goodness has this been a joy, the difference between the first and second uses of the law. Uh, we've talked about these matters, but now we have to come uh, to this key matter that we sometimes call uh, the uh, the. Uh, The the issue of the two ewes Uh, that there are in fact two ewes that we have to address. One is an old creature that is already over and done with and has been put to death but strangely hangs on like an old bag of maggots, Luther says (laughs) around the neck. And the new creature, which has already been created by Christ in faith, but is not yet seen, and is not yet available to you, but for little glimpses, we see through a glass darkly or dimly, little glimpses of what, in fact, this new life is all about. Uh, And for that, then, I want to take up this theme, and I want to have a conversation with Dr. Zoll about this. He threw out... uh, um, uh, f- a, 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 an idea and said, you know, when, this, when, when it comes down to it, uh, our basic, basic issues uh, arise out of the psychosexual. Now, uh, I want one layer deeper. And so I want to go to the later Freud, not the earlier Freud, and to start to identify uh, what uh, 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 we mean by a death instinct. And where we start to even identify that there is something more basic than uh, the sexual matter, and that is the matter of death and life. And for that, I have two places in Scripture to go. The first one is in the Garden of Eden. When the first false preacher enters in the form of a serpent, and his sermon is rather short, but he preaches it to Eve... And uh, the gist of it goes like this. You will not die. There's the gist of the sermon. Now, my goodness, would I ever like that to be true. And here I'm going to refer uh, now uh, to a rather strange and odd uh, psychoanalyst uh, um, uh, by the name of Ernst Becker. Many of you will know uh, this uh, work, The Denial of Death, uh, and I commend it to you uh, as you are going to start exploring this. That is, the serpent says you will not die, and the process begins of denying death. So there it begins, and uh, the very denial itself brings the death as the threat and the work of God himself. Alien work, to be sure. That's the way Isaiah says it. Not the work that God wants to do, but the work, nevertheless, that he does once we start the process of denying our own deaths. Now listen to the way Paul preaches the sermon. In one of the best sermons ever, and we actually have this sermon when Paul went back to Peter. I mentioned this briefly before. When Paul went back to Peter and had to, well, what do you do with a person who has left the gospel, once having heard it, and gone back to live the old life? Uh, Paul is coming across this constantly. He says, who has bewitched you? Uh, Why would you want, once you have been given a new life and a resurrection from the dead, to go back to the old life? Now, would you mind me quoting from Scripture an offensive passage, but nevertheless a necessary one, uh, in Proverbs itself? Why does the dog like to go back and smell its own vomit? Well, (laughs) offensive, but nevertheless true. Bewitching, but nevertheless constantly occurring. Why does one want to go back to the old bag of maggots? and shuffle around in there to find out what's left of your old self. And why do you want to go back into this to do your self-examination and determine whether or not you actually deserve the justification from Jesus Christ that came entirely from the outside and made you perfectly passive? Why would you want to do that? And what do you do with a person who has then done this Do you come to them and say, Tut, tut, don't do it again? Do you say to them, Naughty, naughty? Do you now begin to uh, preach what we call moralism? No, you don't. You now preach the two words of the law and the gospel, and you do now what we call not preaching moralism, but mortalism. And uh, Paul does this exactly to Peter. So he says, Galatians, the second chapter. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, one of his pet names for Peter, right? I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, How can you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? We ourselves, who are Jews by birth, that's something royal and God-given, and not Gentile sinners. And By the way, what made the Gentiles sinners? Were they born with some disease, some evil substance? Well, no. They had no preacher, and therefore no word from God, and therefore are sinners by nature. We ourselves who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet who know that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law shall no one be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we ourselves were found to be sinners, is Christ then an agent of sin? Certainly not. But if I build up those things again which I tore down, then I prove myself a transgressor. Now listen To Peter preaching, excuse me, Paul preaching to Peter, for I through the law died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. That's not, so to speak, that's not uh, metaphorically, Uh, that's not making air quotations, and please don't ever force me to do that again. Uh, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification were through the law, then Christ died to no purpose. End of sermon now i want one sentence there i have died i have been crucified with christ it is no longer i who live but christ who lives in me well this is quite something what is paul talking about here and what is he preaching and proclaiming to peter he says i Uh, It it is I, but not I, but Christ in me. And he now is all confused about who he is. So we would say. Uh, He's all confused about who his subject is. He's all confused about who the I is. Uh, He's all confused now about what you would call your identity. And so when people are running around trying to, uh, trying to gain their identity, that, of course, is the problem itself. To identify themselves, uh, identify, turn inward, uh, 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 figure out who this I is. But Paul now says, it is I, but not I. Well, what is that? Are we uh, talking about... Um, uh, a basic mental problem here where Paul no longer knows who he is. Uh, I almost feel at this point that I would want to turn around uh, to the Apostle Paul and say it's time for you to go see Dr. Martin uh, and for her to pull out her Barbie dolls. Uh, there, this is <laughs> You need some play time here uh, Paul. Uh, there is a basic issue Uh, And now you watch what happens. This is the Christian life. The Christian life turns from I to me. And what has happened in that little sentence? I, but not I, but Christ in me. I have moved from the subject of the sentence to the object of the sentence. And now Paul has opened this up. It is not I any longer driving the car. Now it is me who receives. We call this the vita passiva. Well, that means every time we get close to something important, we have to say it in Latin uh, so that you uh, you don't know what it means, but you know there's something there, right? Uh, this is the passive life. How passive is it? Perfectly passive. So that there is nothing you do, but everything is received from Christ. But watch this. When everything is received from Christ, something very dramatic happens to you. This is not a change of mind. Uh, Dr. Zoll is exactly right here. You don't come through the mind. This is not a change of mind. It is not a change of reason. It is not a change of perspectives. And it is not, uh, 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 finally, even a change of feeling. What this is, is the greatest change that you will ever undergo. The greatest conversion that is ever, ever possible. It's one thing to be converted from secularism to Christianity. Well, that's an interesting enough conversion. It's one thing uh, to uh, be converted uh, from one religion to another. But do you realize how radical your conversion is? It is to be converted from a dead person to a living person. Now that's a conversion. <laughs> that's a conversion. And that conversion is so radical that we have to go right to the root of the uh, matter and say, just as Paul did, I'm dead. Well, now I have to speak to you this way. You are dead. Now in Christ you have been raised, and now you can go freely. Since once death is behind you, the denial of death no longer has to preoccupy you. Now, I've told you about my uh, wife's uh, recent surgery with, for cancer. And ever since she went uh, 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 through her cancer surgery for colon cancer, she wakes up every morning having dreamt a dream. And every morning, it is now my vocation to interpret her dream. since so she turns to me when she wakes up and says, now you have to tell me what this dream means. She treats me as Joseph, uh, who has been given this gift. uh, And, uh, of course, uh, she never quite gets what she wants out of this. But she turns to me and says, okay. And so I know now in the morning I have to wake up about 15 minutes early and I have to listen to every detail of the dream. Uh, And, by the way, no detail is ever left out. (laughs) Now this is the joy of being a husband, right? So now you have to listen to this, uh, and you have to take this in. And uh, she's getting used to the fact that when she has now conveyed the dream to me, I then say, oh yes, I see now, Uh, 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 I I, I, I get it. Uh, This dream means you're afraid to die. Every morning I say the same thing. (laughs) Every morning, oh yes, well, I have a great insight into this dream. Uh, you're afraid to die. Uh, and then, of course, I, I say, but, of course, it's too late since you have already died. Now, my dear wife, let's get up and have some bacon and eggs. <laughs> so uh, we go home. That's what that means. That's what that means. Well, I, I, I don't want to, I, I, that's it. I don't, I've, I've, I've given you the whole thing here. Uh, and what i want to do now is to do what we started last time this group is an unusual group i can speak very directly to you in this way and so i actually want to start hearing from you about your comments and your uh, your questions and your observations and let's uh, let's continue what i think has been the great spirit of this uh, of this time uh, together and that is that we uh, talk to one another you give me your comments and uh, questions And we also have the rare thing, I also have been at many uh, events where we have had uh, uh, speeches and so on, and it is a rare thing that our speakers are all gathered here and are gaining as much as we give and more, right? So uh, I want you to uh, use your questions liberally and freely, uh, and they can go to Dr. Martin and Dr. Zoll uh, as well, but uh, I'm glad to take them also. So tell me, what are you thinking about, uh, and what's going on out there? Yeah, Sean, uh, Dr. Paulson. Yesterday, um, in your Q and A yeah. in the chapel, you, t- you talked. You started out with, you know, trying to stir the pot. You said, and it was uh, that we need to separate the language of faith. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Um, yesterday in your talk, you said we need to separate the language of faith from the language of love, mm-hmm. and that. The language of love is actually the language of the law. And then to
1: unconditionally love somebody would kill them. And so I'm really interested in hearing more about that, if you could explain what you mean. And um, that would just be awesome. Thanks.
0: Yeah. Even in this little sermon of Paul to Peter, uh, uh, Paul, of course, does know that it is the love of God that is at work in Peter and him. But the love of God is the thing first and foremost that puts to death. That is, it kills. Now uh, I'll say this uh, uh, briefly here, and uh, this is a this this uh, this uh, uh, requires uh, uh, more time uh, and more thought for all of us. One of the uh, one of the uh, uh, important discoveries about this matter of how it is that we are made right with God, justified in relationship to God, and only therefore able to turn and to begin to be in right relationship with uh, others, Uh, one of the important discoveries is that it is faith and faith only that in fact justifies. And it is not love that does this. Love comes later and is the matter of what we call fruit. And the favorite description of this in Scripture, is to uh, you'll find this in Matthew and in Luke, is uh, Jesus' description of, uh, the, uh, of, of you people as trees. That is, uh, first the Lord makes you a good tree, and from a good tree, fruit is produced. The difference between being made a good tree and producing fruit is the difference between faith and love. Um, uh, We heard a little bit about this in uh, some of the uh, questions that were raised uh, when Dr. Martin spoke to us. And over and over again in our own lives, we come to some real problems. Um, I have a family member who is an alcoholic. Alcoholic. And uh, we can't get him up and running, but for periods of time. And uh, we go to the group sessions and so on. And over and over we hear uh, two words which are both true, but they are contradictory. And they are finally uh, self-contradictory. That is that you have to learn how to love somebody unconditionally. But when you love somebody unconditionally, uh, then, of course, they unconditionally proceed to do what their will desires and wants. And to love somebody unconditionally, uh, uh, on the one hand, seems to indicate that you remove any restriction or what we would call limit in relationship to them. On the other hand, if you don't set a limit even perhaps of your own presence or involvement in the person's life, then, of course, uh, this, in fact, starts to work as uh, destruction itself. That is, uh, if I do not finally say in this circumstance, I can't live with you in this house any longer because of this particular behavior and situation, it will... uh, kill not just one but two that's just what starts to happen and therefore when we use the term unconditional we do not apply it to the love that comes from you the only thing that is unconditional is that which comes from christ himself and what he bestows is a promise and the promise is unconditional A promise is unconditional because it does not depend on the person you're giving it to, but it depends entirely on the person making the promise. And for that reason now we say there is one unconditional thing in life. You can try as hard as you want to unconditionally love a person, and it will not in fact happen. But there is one unconditional thing that does happen, and that is that Christ can deliver his promise to you, and come hell or high water, and whatever obstacles you throw in his way, he will (laughs) accomplish the thing. He will see to it that this is done. That's what we call the gift of faith. Now, one of the great things that comes from faith is that faith actually produces fruit. It actually produces it. And it produces it in the form that uh, love needs to take in relationship to other people. Love needs to take the form uh, in relationship to to your family and friends and so on as conditional love. It needs to take that form. Uh, And it needs to take the form then that identifies what we call limits and goodness sakes, if parents don't learn this uh, fairly early on, there is all sorts of trouble that uh, that follows. So, also in a relationship of uh, of, of, of spouses, um, um, a man and a wife in a marriage uh, have limits uh, to the matter of love. So, for uh, for example, um, uh, my wife uh, identifies rather strict limits on the nature of my love uh, poured out to others around me. And thank God. We call this, we call this jealousy. Uh, and of course, uh, you hear what love sounds like in God when he actually uh, uh, bestows his love clearly, and it comes right at the end of giving the Ten Commandments, and he says, oh, by the way, after I've given you these Ten Commandments, I just want to let you know something. I am a jealous God, and I won't let any other idol take my place, even if it means I must end your own life. That's how jealous I'm going to be about this. (laughs) So anyway, that's the start of that, okay?
1: Amy had her hand up first. Amy, then Jeff, then Matt. Uh, hi, thank you. Thank you. Um, I want to pick up on the, um, your first statement about the old and the new, and somehow in the new, we still have pieces of the old. Yeah. And I've been wrestling with this um, specifically, uh, and I hope this will be helpful to others too, but anyway. Um, my grandmother, who was a dear, sweet woman, um, taught me to say the Lord's Prayer every night on my knees. But she also said to me, Amy, you must be good, because if you're not, you're going to go to hell. And she gave a lively picture of what hell was like. And um, years ago, uh, you know, I felt very close to Christ, and I really believed intellectually, spiritually, emotionally. I had dealt with this. It is now 20 years later. I am that much closer to my own death, and it's coming up again, and I can't believe it. Um, And I know this ties into everything that you're saying. Anyway, Mm -hmm. I just wish you could uh, help me a little bit with that.
0: Well, you remember now, uh, you you said it was your grandmother. Your grandmother gave you two uh, things. One was a human word, which was her own. Regarding uh, what what would uh, bring you to hell. The second one is God's own word, which uh, is given uh, to the disciples when they come and ask how to pray. And I'll tell you that uh, that the Lord's prayer wins. That's what uh, she actually gave you a great gift, and one of those words is going to win in the end. And nevertheless. Uh, In the time being, uh, we are in the midst of a struggle. And the struggle is constant, so constant it is daily. Uh, We have a phrase that we commonly use from Luther's small catechism that I want to give to you, and it's a helpful one at this point. We say that we daily die and rise. That's from his small catechism. And when we daily die and rise, we learn something about life. We learn something about uh, a life because we are not on a fast walk to somewhere. This doctor is all noticing everybody walking fast to somewhere. We are not on a fast walk to somewhere. Uh, we are in the position of receiving life, and therefore every day is to begin Again. And there is no uh, uh, end of the beginning. It is a return constantly to that beginning point, which is to hear what Christ has to say to us. And I want you especially to hear this uh, word in the uh, Lord's Prayer Our Father. Now you're on your way because you have the Father's heart. And the Father loves nothing better than to bestow and give his good gifts, even the kingdom itself. And believe me, by the time you're done with that Lord's Prayer, you're going to know that the evil one will have no power over you. Because the evil one always whispers in your ear, you may die one day. But, of course, thanks be to God, Christ settles this matter and says, that's already done. Now you let me go to work. You have died, now let me go to work. And Christ's special occupation, his special job, is to deal with dead people. That's what he specializes in. Uh, and, uh, And he doesn't deal with dead people the way... Uh, that we do in this old world. Well, you know, we have to say goodbye, and we have to remember them, we have to put them in the ground in the proper way, and so on and so forth. What he does with dead people is what dead people want more than anything else, and that is to be raised from the dead. <laughs> That's the one thing a dead person wants. The rest you know, is just the after effect, whatever else. But, uh, but, but there. You, know, you remember that when you're, when, when you're praying this, and the Lord's Prayer is going to win this. Uh, and uh, he now is, uh, is, is, uh, is gripping your heart in such a way that he will not let go. And you do not, the daily dying and rising allows you a freedom. You do not ever need to depend on how uh, well you're feeling that day, spiritually or otherwise. This is entirely what we call an ecstatic life that has left itself and now listens only to Christ. That's all it's doing, and it does that daily and returns uh, time and time again. Why do you think we keep coming back to preachers? Uh, you you go out uh, and uh, you're out there in the world, and before long you're talking to yourself, right? And when you're talking to yourself, you're you're producing your various schemas, which uh, are outside, and you're always telling you yourself what ought to be done. And then you say, well, I'm not going to do any longer what my parents told me to do because that's a, a, what is now called heteronomous, And you're not, supposed to deal, you're not supposed to take anybody else's rule for life. And then you say my solution for it is to turn inward and to become a law unto myself. That's what we call autonomy. Uh, and goodness sakes, I mean, that is hell itself. Just uh, I, I, I know what hell is like i don 't have to uh, wait uh, to uh, have a picture uh, or or uh, it, it is uh, uh, me sitting in a room, having all of my lectures and talks uh, uh, played on tapes o- o- over and over again. <laughs> uh, I don't, and you're just going to listen to yourself uh, go on and on and on about these kinds of things, right? But thanks be to God, Christ breaks through that, and, uh, and we, we tune our ear to him. Yeah. Good. Others? Yeah. Yes, please. Hey. Um, When I was going through my notes last night from your talk yesterday morning, uh, one of the things you said
1: was uh, when you were talking about the office of the keys was that there are two keys, one that binds and one that frees absolutely and that they work together. And when you were talking about the forgiveness key, I I feel I got a pretty good concept of that. But um, could you say a little bit more about that key that binds and how they work together?
0: Yeah. Well, I don't like to talk about the key that binds because that's talking about Moses and uh, and I don't uh, I don't always I I would rather talk to you about uh, Jesus Christ after all Moses is dead but uh, 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 and we don't even know where he's buried and so on but uh yet uh, you, you know we we keep going back and trying to listen to him in some way or another you remember that even uh, even poor old Moses came back to try to talk to Jesus uh on the mountain of transfiguration to get a few words in you know uh I, i'd like to have a, a couple minutes uh, of your time jesus and so on <laughs> and uh, jesus said oh, okay uh but uh, that's that's it that's enough uh and uh, now you know uh, 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 gone is elijah gone is uh, moses there jesus is is standing all by himself now But there is, of course, a a, a key that binds the sinner. And the key that binds the sinner is the word of the law. And the word of the law is not something that just curtails you a little bit. Remember that, uh, that when you think of sin as a misuse of your free will, then you use Moses as a way of keeping the free will from getting too free. Because if it got too free, what then do you suppose is going to start happening? Well, people are really going to do what they really want to do, and that would be psychosexual, etc. But it gets even worse than psychosexual. I mean, I'm thankful to hear from Dr. Martin that, uh, that, that when you're uh, playing with dolls and having images of cannibalism regarding your parents, that this is common. Uh, well, uh, you know, uh, uh, now we're talking about another uh, level here that is uh, uh, that that uh, really now involves finally the death of the other person, and the binding that's going to be done uh, is going to be the kind of binding that Nathan did with David when David now was utterly and completely. Uh, out of control, not because he was disobeying this or that law, he certainly was doing that. But he had lost his ear for God's word, and he was not listening to what the Lord actually said to him. And he was often and running, inventing and one thing or another, and saying to the Lord, Well, you know, uh, you don't have a, a place to live, I'm going to build you a temple, and so on. Uh, and uh, uh, imagining all sorts of things that the Lord was going to do and how great he was going to make this. Meanwhile, destroying the lives of others, including uh, Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite and so on. In comes Nathan, and Nathan first uses the binding key of the law. Now, how does he do it? Well, Dr. all told us how he does it. You cannot go in blunt force uh... and apply directly to the forehead i think i've got i think i uh... understand this now uh... if uh, if if somebody tells you you can get rid of your headache by taking something and applying it directly to the forehead uh... This is not going to work uh... and so nathan comes in and what does he do he tells the shakespearean story of hamlet uh... but now he just steps to the side and says Uh, David, you like a good story, don't you? Let me tell you about a rich man who takes the one animal, the one sheep from a poor man, and you tell me what you think about it. Up rises David's problem. This is where you have to use the uh, office of the keys in the first key. What's the problem of David? Is David's problem that he doesn't have a moral center? That's exactly what uh, what Nathan is exposing. What comes uh, out—excuse me—what Nathan is exposing in David. What comes out of David is the moral center, and he stands up and he's incensed that this uh, rich man would take the uh, the the animal of the poor man, right? And he stands up and he gives Nathan the moral code. And now, uh, of course, Nathan uh, takes the first key and he binds David. The first key locks the door and says, you are the man. You are the man. And it is precisely David's uh, association with the law, which he thinks is going to make him righteous, which has absolutely destroyed his ear for the promise. So then the first key is used in this way. And and, uh, every now and then you will come upon this circumstance or situation and you will have to use the binding key. Uh, I'll I'll say this uh, rather fast. We have a major problem in my community with with the production and use of methamphetamine. We come from one of the major places where methamphetamine is produced. And and when I'm sitting in the group with my uh, uh, alcoholic and uh, methamphetamine-addicted family member, I listen to people make their confession in front of everyone else. There was a woman there who came in breathlessly one day and sat down, and uh, she said, I have to speak to you in this group because I feel like I'm going to start using again. And I turned to her and I said, Uh, thinking my worldly thoughts. Um, uh, When you get this urge, do you ever think about your two children? She had two children. And uh, she announced when she came into the group that she had left them alone uh, so that she could come to the group Uh, ages uh, two and one. Uh, and I said to her, do you ever think about this, uh, this uh, the, uh, your children when you are, uh, are going to begin using? And uh, she looked me in the eye and said, I hope I'm, I'm not going to offend your, uh, your piety here. She said, no, because I love the shit too much. And in this place and time, I recognized that the key for binding, in fact, needed to be used. Uh, and uh, and uh, and the binding in this case was uh, uh, to immediately go, and see to it that the police were called regarding her children at home, uh, who were not uh, uh, not being cared for, and then uh, then she was in fact put in treatment uh, for these circumstances. There is a binding key here. Uh, And when you uh, when you use this, uh, it's powerful, it's difficult, uh, it's problematic, but it occasionally needs to be used. Sometimes in direct action, sometimes in words like this. But for the most part you are going to be dealing with people who are already bound in their cell and already uh, so imprisoned That you do not have to come in with this key. And the key that you really have to learn to practice to use, since no one else in the world knows how to do it. There are other people who can use the binding key, including a police officer, etc. But uh, the, the key that needs to be used is the key of the unconditional promise of Christ that opens and frees once and for all. And then lets you go free. Because Christ is not afraid of freedom. Moses is. But Christ is not afraid of freedom. Uh, And when he cuts you loose, my goodness, does he cut you loose. Uh, And so, uh, well, I guess now the time has arrived, right? To cut you loose and let you go home.